0: Thank you for tuning in to Growing Tech Fast, the condensed all 3D podcast in which conversations about growing tech startups are had with those who have grown them. Today, we have a, a really special podcast. I'm joined by Wes, who is two times talent acquisition at tech startups with a background in agency recruitment. And we're here today to talk all things scaling teams, growing culture, and where you might be going wrong. Wes, thank you so much for joining. Uh, I, what I'd like to start with is a rewind on your career. Um, tell me all about agency recruitment.
1: Yeah, well, thanks for first of all for for having me, Rosie. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to to be on today. Um, yeah, to give a quick rewind in my career, um, I started straight out of college um, going into a boutique recruiting agency called Proven Recruiting in San Diego. I worked on the um, permanent search technology side of the house, um, did that for two years. It was an amazing experience. Um, starting your career, I think, in recruiting is probably one of the best things that you can do. Even if you go on to do other stuff, you now know how to write a resume, interview for jobs, and negotiate salaries for the rest of your the- life <laughs> Um, I I love that. Um, and uh, through a lot of success, but also a lot of failures, um, learned a lot about what you should and should not be doing. And frankly, got tired of working with clients who uh, very blatantly were doing it wrong um, and who more kind of personally to me, candidates that I would place in these companies that would call me a year down the road and be like, Wes, it's political here. It's a terrible culture. There's micromanagement, all that jazz. Um, and there was nothing at that point that I could really do to help these people, people who had you know, placed their trust in me. So um, I wanted to go in-house. Uh, I was able to make that transition pretty successfully to a startup in San Diego called Pet Desk. Um, at the time, a Series A software as a service for veterinary clinics and pet parents. Um, and in the calendar year of 2019, after they raised their Series B, we went from about 40 people to 95 um, as the only talent acquisition resource within that company. I did not sleep a lot that year.
0: <laughs> they mentioned not.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was nuts. Um, but it was so much fun. And, and again, learned a ton um, about how to hire efficiently while maintaining effectiveness. Um, and then have been able to take that into uh, my most recent startup um, at I'm aware, which does at-home medical testing, um, being able to grow the team from about 12, 15 people to about 45 most recently um, in the span of a year, um, mostly on the technology side of the house, but hiring across the board and um, really being able to implement a lot of those policies and practices from scratch, um, iterating as appropriate. And, um, you know, one of the things, especially in, in, startups that i find such a mismatch for i mean the 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 advantage in a startup to your product is your ability to iterate and and use market feedback to to quickly pivot when needed and yet it still seems like so many startups are uh embedded in these really uh dated recruiting practices and and these um just like wives' tale type
0: uh, thoughts,
1: <laughs> right? <laughs> this kind of, um, you know, weird way of thinking about like, oh yeah, my favorite question to ask is what color spaces on a Monopoly board do you like to buy, right? Like things like that, where it's just like, you know, these are conversations I've had, right? <laughs> People mm-hmm. who think that those are the best ways or like what kind of animal would you be, kind <laughs> of thing, right? Um, when there's just so much more intentionality and deliberateness that that companies can can take, um, you know, in in recruiting and hiring.
0: And this is why I'm really excited about today because I think someone who's worked agency, they've done internal, um, and you've been on that startup side of recruitment. um, So where another personality isn't important in a bigger company, but it plays so much more of a part when you're putting the third, fourth, fifth employee into a company. And on top of that, you did the tech tech side of things, uh, biggest, Candidate shortage. (laughs) Um, Like, you know, your stuff basically. Um, And I think when you work on the agency side, and what a lot of our network are going to get from this, um, I mean, the podcast is called Growing Tech Fast. All we do is help companies grow, uh, and they're all tech startups. So a lot of people listening are going to feel some of the pains that you're going to be talking about. Um, Drawing on your experience and some of your methods you've touched on it a little bit already today but when we last spoke one of the things i thought was really interesting where was your kind of every person you add to the team is an individual and it isn't just a generic oh i need to hire a software engineer into team two <laughs> with x years yeah. experience from x company it's We need someone to fill a gap who who would specifically work on this uh, and would have a goal of this in this role. And that is about finding a who rather than a job description. Um, And I want you to, we'll hash it out after, but (laughs) give the overview of what is your who and, and why are you hiring?
1: yeah i i mean i guess before we get into like the process of that and, and how I've, I've approached that i i do just kind of want to reiterate yeah how important culture building is in such a small setting right when you only have maybe a dozen or a couple dozen a few dozen people one bad hire i mean it's one thing if someone just doesn't do their job and that's just kind of you know salary that you're just throwing out the window it's another thing when that person just drags everyone else down with you um, and it's not just the personality and everything but you know you have to be really deliberate in building your team, um, you know, not just from a culture perspective, but based on the the needs of the business and and what needs to happen there. And so, um, I never want my hiring managers when they're thinking of opening a role. Um, To start just by, yeah, like bringing me a job description or by, uh, you know, looking up, yeah, an old job description or some other company's job description, right? I don't think that encapsulates the the context or the story um, or the importance of certain maybe technical aspects of the job, whether it be programming languages or just use of certain tools or softwares. Um, And I I think uh, you can be as personal to a company um, as possible when building those job descriptions to reach the right person and have that resonate. And when that happens, you can you can tell it's, it's pretty magical. Um, the way that I think you actually go about doing that um, is to start with the scorecard for the position. Um, and I won't take credit for uh, this whole theory. <laughs> I highly recommend reading um, Who the A Method to Hiring by Jeff Smart and Randy Street. I think it's a wonderful template to follow, especially if you are building teams um, I will say the book is probably a little bit more specific to executive hiring, but I think you can tweak a lot of the concepts to work for a variety of different positions. Um, the, the part that, that I resonated with the most in that book and the process is starting with a scorecard that starts with three um, primary categories. The first and the most important are desired outcomes, i.e. what is not getting done now. That needs to get done in order to justify this position. This is to your point before, right? Like if there is a puzzle piece missing, it is really defining the edges of what that shape yeah. of that puzzle piece is going to look like. Um what I tell candidates all the time in how they should build their resumes um, and how they should think about quantifying their accomplishments. I think that hiring managers and companies need to think very similarly about it in, in this desired outcomes and scorecards. Namely, the person is paid. For only three reasons at a company, you either make money, save money, or save time. That's it um, in terms of actual salary. And so, when building those desired outcomes, um, really tying it to those types of quantifiable numbers. Uh, if it's a salesperson that they are going to bring in this much revenue in this much amount of time, um, for an engineer, it's contributing to a product that can then you know bring in you know this much percent or whatever of the market base. Um, you know, for, for product managers, it's making sure that they're um, – or, or project managers making it more efficient, right, in, in engineering to be able to complete more story points or whatever per sprint. Um, and there's a way to quantify these things that, again, will, will save people time. Um, and, and that basis of focusing on those desired outcomes can inform not just the rest of the scorecard, which I'll get to in a second, but I mean, that informs the uh, larger job description. It informs the 30, 60, 90 onboarding plan or however you you approach onboarding. Um, You can use that for future performance reviews and look at it retrospectively to understand, was this person ultimately a successful hire? Did they achieve these things or were these goals also just totally off? And this is again, like a thing that you will continue to iterate on, Mm. on how good you are at defining the shape of that missing puzzle piece. But once you have those defined, and I suggest about three to five of those desired outcomes, things that you want accomplished in this role within a a set amount of time, um, to then work on on role-based competencies. These are the skills or experiences one would need in order for you and the rest of the hiring team to feel confident that they can achieve those desired outcomes. So really those competencies should be informed by whatever those outcomes are. Because if the outcomes are really all focused on you know, making money potentially, right? Um, more of a, like a sales aspect or, or or something along those lines, then the competencies shouldn't necessarily have anything to do with, I don't know, particularly being efficient, <laughs> right? Um, or something along like saving other people time, right? If this is going to be like a lone wolf type position, right? So it's really just making sure there is kind of that direct one-to-one causation, right? Like because they have this skill, they can more likely achieve this outcome they're not just like correlated together but there's like a real causal of um relationship between those two categories and then finally are just those uh cultural competencies the these are the same for every single position the four key values or whatever that you want to hire for across the board and those need to be front and center in this scorecard from the very beginning um, before you start your job search, before you write the rest of the job description in order to make sure that you are staying true to those characteristics and to those values that you want to be hiring for across the board and don't end up making, you know, <laughs> a hire that, uh, you know, can drag everyone else down with them. Um, yeah. So that I think like in starting really at the 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 genesis of why any person, you know, any person is hired, right, starting at that um, really beginning point of what are they going to bring back to the company in terms of value um, and what needs to get done why is my life as a hiring manager harder without this person and that needs to get done in order for us to go you know move the needle Um, that i think is is the most important part from there i mean the job description writes itself if I'm being completely honest, it makes it really easy to tell a story um, for a recruiter or your talent acquisition team to provide context, right? It's like, well, there's all this stuff that needs to get done. I can tell it to you, um, <laughs> you know, and actually yeah. give candidates a really um, clear picture as to the needs of the the organization, what, what holes there are, what areas for improvement there are, um, and to be able to put that much thought up front. I mean, it shows itself through the course of an interview process. Candidates notice this because frankly, most companies don't do this. They don't put in the time to understand, you know, they just are like, oh, the team's a little overworked. Like, let's just hire another person. yeah, without really like thinking about, um, well, what what skills or what needs to get done for everyone else to not be overworked? <laughs> yeah, um, just getting another body in a chair. Um, it's about, Answering the the actual needs of a team or or a business as a whole.
0: What from your experience when companies don't do this? Because I can imagine even when you're in the agency role, you were wanting this level of detail from some of your clients, and not all of them are going to give it to you. Uh, what happens when people won't get on board with that?
1: You know, again, I think there's like this this uh, tendency of. Just kind of like go 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 and and it it really just becomes like ready fire aim instead of like taking a step back to ready aim fire and it's like Mm. taking that one step back to take two steps forward like bottom line candidates notice like if you don't actually know what you want or you cannot describe the needs on the team and what are the metrics by which i as a candidate am going to be held accountable to like, what do you mm-hmm. want this person to accomplish? One of the more common questions, especially over the past few years that I myself as a candidate love asking, it's like, yeah, what what does a successful hire look like three, six, 12 months down the line in this position? Yeah, Company can't answer that question. What the hell are you doing? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> again, like they can smell bullshit a mile away, yeah. right? And so if it's just like, oh, well, you know, like the team's just a little overworked or, you know, it's a backfill or whatever, that's not really enough to like show really the connection as well between like what this person is doing and how it impacts a, a larger product or a larger service. Um, mm. You know, th- this is obviously harder to do in larger companies, but like at any startup, right? Like one of the big things that any person who seriously, you know, is addicted to startups, like I am, I'm going on my 3rd We <laughs> I'll be starting soon. Um, you know, and other people who, who have enjoyed that startup life is because of like the you know, percent impact you can make in the organization as an individual contributor, as a manager, right? Like much more so than just the sort of cog in the machine at a larger,
0: you know, Google
1: or or what have you. Right. Um, And so if you as a startup then can't really define though, like sell a story, sell a vision of how this X role and person in this role will be able to impact the organization as a whole, be able to move the needle Um, You're missing out on one of your biggest competitive advantages in the marketplace. Um, And so, you know, from the agency perspective, when like we did not get this context from companies, it was... Hard to convince them as just an external recruiter being like, hey, I'm representing company A. They're hiring for this position. And the person would be like, cool, why are they hiring for it? And it's just like, I have no idea. <laughs> you know, like that sucks. That's not a good answer to give. Yeah. And don't feel like they're just another person being hired, especially again, like when it's a startup. And the point of that is to, again, be, be have a voice at the table, um, be able to move the needle Single-handedly, or or really show Mm. that you got that contribution on a team that that um, you know put uh, you know first to market product out there. Um, You know that that's an advantage that more companies need to take advantage of, especially smaller ones.
0: Absolutely, and I think I I've never done internal. I've always been on the agency side of things, but we're very relationship led, and I have to get all of this information, or I or we walk away because you can't. Yeah. The whole point of using a recruiter, whether you're internal, whether you're external, is to save, as you said, time, money, or resource. Uh, and we just can't save time if it's like there's this unwritten rule that you should keep these things a secret and that you shouldn't tell the person you're potentially paying to help hire, or you shouldn't give somebody who's coming into your business um, as a new hire all of that information roles that they can fully understand what, what will be asked of them and accept that responsibility with full knowledge of, of what's going to happen. I think it's so enticing to an individual to hear the mission of a role and to hear why, why they're looking for that. I think often I'll get given a brief on a position and there's bits in there that tell you what what they're looking for, and you ask further questions, and you get that, and then you kind of have to make that into a story of of what this role is and how it fits into that company's mission. And I mean, like it's 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 as simple as it's just how you're marketing your business. You know, if if uh, McDonald's was saying, "Yeah, it's an average burger," why why don't you try it? There'd be a lot less people eating it, <laughs> but because they've marketed it so well as I think as something that is much more than an average burger um, you get lots of people buying into it, and I think that's the it's the same same principle you you have to sell the story you have to have a story for people to want to get on that mission and when you join a startup you're giving up a lot more time than if you worked at a big company uh, because there is a lot more riding on on the results of your work and um you've got to want to do it so I completely agree you've got to outline that outline that train that are getting on um I want to move into so so we understand the who and we understand the why you know who we're after we know why we're looking for this individual how do you what's your first place you go to to find that person
1: the the first place that i go on to well so two i guess wings right in recruiting right you have um kind of like passive recruitment methods which is like the job description right things where Mm -hmm. candidates will be coming to to you then there's more kind of proactive um recruitment where you know you're actively sourcing so linkedin is obviously the the primary tool i think most recruiters use um depends on resources obviously um in an organization so you know a linkedin recruiter license is great a recruiter light license will still get a lot of the job done um Mm -hmm. and at my last company i'm aware the vast majority of those hires that um, we made over the past year were just on a linkedin light license so it can be done um even with some limited searching capabilities but i i i don't want to just like quickly brush over the the passive recruitment methods because i think you know um i i think f- from an agency perspective right like coming out of the agency world i never trusted any candidates that were like applying <laughs> to some jobs um, really I, I i just was like you know no like most people who are applying like maybe aren't even like worth being hiring and i kind of just like took a lot of that like for granted and and I focus really just on like active sourcing on, on LinkedIn and, and, you know, trying to create some tailored messages and sell that story and, and, and pull people in. Um, since going internal, I have seen a whole lot more value of, of building that sort of employer brand and, and building a job description that like we have talked about tells that story, right. Can give the full context while not laundry listing every single thing that that person is going to be doing. Right. Like, one thing that I also want people to, to to take away is that like, there is a real difference between a job description, which is a piece of marketing material, right? And there's no marketing campaign that just is like three scrolls on your computer desktop long. Like that doesn't exist, right? It needs to be short, sweet, and to the point. It needs to kind of quickly encapsulate what it is that you want that can inform a larger roles, responsibilities, and expectations document that is maybe more of the laundry list of, yes, quite literally everything that maybe falls under their bucket and purview, but that's not what you should be posting out there. And that's not what is going to get you, I think, a strong uh, passive candidate flow for any job. And I will say that, um, you know, again, over the the past year, despite being in Austin, Texas, uh, in a startup, a relatively competitive market, several of our engineering hires have been people who have applied to us. Mm. And I think a lot of that is because, Look at the job descriptions that we put out versus some of our other competitors the, ours are half as long tell a way better story in terms of why this position is open and the impact that it could have and similar to again like the just as when you're looking at a candidate resume and there's not like numbers on there they don't like show any of like the kind of quantifiable achievements or anything. I think candidates think the same way, right? Like you should be able to put your goals out there in terms of like, this is what you're going to accomplish. Like those desired outcomes, right? Mm -hmm. Like these are things that like, we're excited for you to get done. And I don't think companies should be scared about like putting that in a job description out there. I've heard a lot of managers and executive level people are like, oh, well, we don't want our competitors to know this. And my general philosophy, and maybe this is coming from a sporting background and like playing American football as much as I did, but like, why the hell not? I want the other team to know my playbook because we're still going to beat them like i that's how i genuinely feel if you feel so like self-conscious about like maybe like some of your goals in this one job description that now like this other competitor is going to beat you there's a bigger problem right that's not going to be the reason why you lose um (laughs) and so (laughs) i think for for all of those reasons um you know like i i i think you know larger than than just kind of the the passive recruiting methods and the job description and everything there um i I do also like I immediately go to LinkedIn. I get my hiring managers to to work with me um, to to message certain candidates. I think it's also be really important to be self-aware at this stage when reaching out to people, because mm-hmm. I am the definition of a white middle-class male, <laughs> right? Um, and I can appreciate why a lot of individuals may not want to immediately respond to me. They may not feel safe doing so or feel connected and as much as I try to embody that, um, I need to be aware of, of my own privileges and the way that I might come across, um, as just, you know, one other recruiter. And so leveraging other people in your, um, company that, you know, may be more diverse than you yourself, um, is a good way to be able to reach a more diverse, you know, equally diverse, I should say, um, candidate. Um, and so having hiring managers and just sending them like, Ten, a list of 10 names on LinkedIn or whatever with just like a quick blurb that they can send to those people can help at least get the conversation started um, in, in attracting those individuals.
0: Absolutely. I think um, it's so interesting that you had that feeling about passive uh, candidate talent. Um, I am a sticker for a good job description and a good, and a good advert because I think it can make that the world of a difference. You should, I, I tell my team, do everything that can work in the background first. Yeah. Like advert, um, your current candidate base, get kind a of message out to them, or email or text, however you communicate with them, um, and, and and all the different options that are passive, and then move to to the active stuff because all of that will work in in the background for you, and it's a much more efficient way of working, and some of my best placements have come from applicants and I'll, there is a view that it's easier um all that it, it wasn't as difficult but you still spent the same time writing writing the advert if not more than you do writing all of those emails um
1: oh, all the email
0: campaigns
1: I wish I learned this lesson earlier. I really do. But I, I, I do want to recognize like there is a bias here. I mean, I, um, for some of the engineering roles, I mean, we had hired some people who had applied through like Indeed. And yet I know our head of technology had like a real bias for any candidate who came from Indeed. If he saw that in our applicant tracking system, he was just like that they're all like, they're all garbage. And I'm like, do you know that these three people that we've hired all came from yeah. Indeed? He's like, oh no, I had no idea. And I'm, like and he's like oh yeah and like yes maybe you have to wade through like a higher volume but it's worth waiting i would rather wade spend a lot of time wading through maybe some of of the the less qualified individuals to find that person who had passively applied um you know through there that it's a uh, that's a good match and, and who showed that interest and level of dedication to want to apply to your company in the first place um You know, rather than what I see so many hiring managers do, which is just, like, complain about volume and stuff like that, right? Like, I think there's ways to get high volume, and, yes, that comes Mm. with drawbacks, but um, I would rather go through that struggle than just not have anyone at all.
0: (laughs) If you don't want to wade through tons of job applications, that's why you speak to a recruiter. They will do it for you. They do it all day. (laughs) Um, So... One of the things I think is key to recruitment that I think a lot of people overlook, um, and actually, it's it's where as the individual you get your brand. I think um, is that candidate process. So it, recruiters have a bad rep, no matter where you are in the world. Mm-hmm. People people have a bad um, preconception about about recruiters that. In my experience on the whole, isn't true, but I have heard the stories that that would imply it was. Um, and that comes from a bad process and a bad um, organization on their part when, when it comes to, okay, we've found someone who we think is great. We spent all that time looking for this individual. We found them. We've convinced them to start the process and then... It all falls apart, and it doesn't. It doesn't get all the way through. I and mean, I have my thoughts on what makes a good candidate process, but I, I want to hear yours. Like, what, given all the experience, agency, and internal, what's your take on the candidate process?
1: Well, I mean, so first of all, I I, I want to emphasize just the level of empathy that that everyone, hiring managers and recruiters especially, should have for the candidate experience, um, and if you are not really aware maybe what candidates go through then go on to like subreddits and stuff like uh, recruiting, <laughs> and like read stories yeah. from candidates who are going through like absolute ringers only to just be completely ghosted like i agree yeah. that a lot of the hate that recruiters get is a lot of times unwarranted at the same time like i do genuinely believe that this is for a long time, been a little overinflated of an industry, similar to mm-hmm. lawyers. There should not be as many lawyers that there are in the world, but there are. <laughs> I don't think there yeah. should be as many recruiters as there are. And so because of that, there's going to be, just as there are bad lawyers, they're going to be bad recruiters. Um, yeah. And I do think that at this point, they're kind of a dime a dozen, but a good recruiter is absolutely worth their weight in gold. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of that comes down to how they they view and treat the candidate experience. And I'll say, first of all, This comes down to just some general philosophies, right? Like just as you would never not respond to like a customer concern or complaint, someone going through your customer support channels or sending a support email, you should never just ignore an applicant. If Mm -hmm. someone is rejected, reject them, send them a rejection email, close the loop. Like it is not difficult to set up certain things, especially automated <laughs> things in the applicant tracking systems these days, even lightweight ones, where you can set up that level of automation pretty darn easily just by like clicking a couple of buttons once someone applies. And so yeah. I think it starts with just like that commitment to, you know, we're, we're going to get back to every single person. I think getting back to every single person quickly. I mean, there is the old agency saying that at least I was steeped in, which is time kills all deals, Yeah. right? And so that is very true. It's just as true internally as it is externally, where
0: Mm
1: -hmm. you you need to make like certain commitments and like almost SLAs, right? With like your recruiting team and like candidates. And if you want to like be public about that, maybe take it one step further where you can post that. And I've seen companies do that which I love, we're just like, we promise that we're going to get back to you within three business days. We promise that after every single stage in the interview, we're going to get back to you with an answer within like three to five business days or something like that, Mm. right? and just like set some goals for yourself and your hiring and your recruiting team. And even if you don't have specific like recruiting or talent acquisition resources, these are still goals for like the hiring managers themselves to get back to applicants, to follow up after every single stage, even if that's just a rejection email or trying to set up next stages. And even if there isn't an update because calendars are crazy, you haven't been able to find time <laughs> or whatever, send someone an email that there isn't an update. Saying that there isn't yeah. an update is an update in and of itself, especially when candidates and their livelihoods are on the line. And so having that level of empathy with you because i can tell you in my most recent job search i was refreshing my email multiple times an hour because i just was like please like i want to hear something right mm-hmm. um, and if you don't you haven't been in a job search in a long time um you can lose sight of just how invested these individuals are in wanting to go through an interview process and wanting to get hired so i think it starts with that mindset frankly from there I think like you can be efficient while maintaining effectiveness, right? I don't think that any role other than maybe a few like C-level positions need like 5 to 7 rounds of interviews. I think there are three primary steps that just need to be done, right? It's it's like talk with an initial screener, right, whether it's like the the hiring manager, the HR person, um myself as, you know, the internal recruiter or an external recruiter. Um, A conversation with the primary hiring manager is usually the second stage where it's just like the person who this person is going to be like, who the candidate would be reporting to once they come into the role or working Mm -hmm. very closely alongside someone who just has more of the technical knowledge in order to really make sure that if there are any sort of technical requirements for that position that they can be done. And then kind of a final interview with just like other members of the team, right? Other people that this person would work maybe ancillary with or, or whatever, um, and, and I think if you set those interviews up correctly, you time them appropriately, usually like 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and then maybe a couple of hours, a few hours, depending on the role, um, you will have enough information to be confident about your decision, especially if you're comparing those candidate responses to the scorecard that we, um, you know, created at the beginning of the process. So, yeah, I, I think if, again, if you execute those stages properly, um, and you kind of keep a few other. I think things in mind, like, I don't want it to sound like these are the only things that can happen in an interview process. Like, there can be take-home projects, but I think you should have certain rules to them. Like, A, it should not be free work. I think, ideally, it should be, like, a problem you've already solved. Um, it should be time-boxed. You should not just kind of give someone 12 hours to work on this. I think that that's asking too much. Um, and I think it should never be, like, a screening stage in and of itself. Um By that I mean, if someone does like a project or something for you, a design or or engineering challenge, um, and send it back to you, that should never be a reason to reject someone in and of itself. Like you should schedule an interview, send them the project to bring into the interview, and it should provide content for that interview to talk about. Um, You know, like the and and I because I get that that's a challenge, right? Like so much of what I base my interviewing prowess on is and and what I think most people should focus on um, instead of asking kind of random questions about you know what <laughs> or whatever, um, the best predictor and indicator for future success is past performance. And so all of my questions and what I tell my hiring teams to focus on through the course of these interviews is on particular examples from someone's experience of both their successes and their failures, because we have all failed, anyone who says that they haven't or or is (laughs) ready to talk about it is likely not someone that you want to hire especially in a startup where you are going to fail constantly and you need to like be able to put it behind you and like move on and and go again onwards and upwards um so yeah I, i think you know focusing on those specific experiences right like it's hard in some professions maybe to talk about specific designs yeah or, or processes mm. or, or projects and so giving them something to maybe like do to create that content to create that example of an experience to talk about in an interview i think is important um but again like if you're just going to go through like five interviews and there's multiple technical challenges or things like that, that the the market is going to prove how ineffective that ultimately yes. will be. And you're going to move out, yeah. you know, move out on, on on pretty spectacular people because of it. And, and yeah. it, it, it's avoidable. Like, that's, that's the thing. And I, I get that, especially, like, for maybe any talent acquisition professionals out there, trust me, I worked in an organization where, like, pain needed to be felt in order for change to be made right and like that that that's sometimes to me is the sort of over reliance that especially some startup minded individuals have on data and trust me I, l- I love data especially recruiting data but like there are some pain points that like companies go through and in, in losing out on talent that is so incredibly unnecessary and maybe i'm i i'm in the minority here but i i think like losing one person is too many Right, like losing one person because of how your process is set up, um, without the right level of empathy towards that experience, without the forethought on on specifically what needs to be evaluated, right, and like making those projects really specific to the desired outcomes and the role based competencies. Um, Again, like losing one person because of that is one person too many, especially if they were the right one for your organization.
0: Yeah, I think it's the most frustrating thing, whether you're the recruiter, whether you're the company, whether you're the candidate, like everybody loses in that situation. You're losing your time as the business. You're putting too much time when really, unless it's a technical hire, you know pretty quickly whether you want that person into the business or not. And if you're debating it, either you aren't sure if you need to hire or you aren't sure about that person. And if you're not sure, you probably shouldn't hire them. Like you know very quickly, uh, te- technical hires are harder, uh, you, especially if you're an early startup and you're and as co-founders you're not technical. Um, that that's a really tricky one that yeah. I've come across before. But you're so right. Like that person is dedicating five six hours of their life for free to your interview process. They're so embedded in what what you want to do with the company that they're going to give you 6 hours of their time and you're not even going to to see it to a certain extent or you you're not going to give the feedback it's just it's what it is one of the most frustrating things because i don't think on any side of the party anybody really means for that to happen um it it's it's the bane of my life uh, a lot of the time so <laughs> i feel your pain on that um uh, it sounds like if you can get a good grip on that when you're in an internal position, you've got the influence to decide what those interview processes are. You can come up with something that that hits the nail on the head more times than it doesn't. Um, I've worked with some companies who turn around processes within 24, 48 hours, and they've never not hit their hiring goals. Yeah. I mean, it's as simple, simple as that.
1: <laughs> I agree. Like it's a choice, right? Like, um, you can like I don't want to minimize what I think a lot of co-founders and, and executives may feel, right? Like hiring someone mm-hmm. is a pretty steep investment. And I don't want to mm-hmm. like make light of that. Um, at the same time, like you are never going to know everything about a candidate. Like, it's just not going to happen. I, I interviewing and recruit it's speed dating with marriage at the end. You (laughs) kind of just have to accept that, right? Like there are going to be mistakes, you know, you know, rectify those mistakes, learn, move forward, hire someone else or something, right? If that ends up happening. But like, what's more frustrating is finding the right person in a a sea of, of bland. You found that one like niche person who can really meet your needs. And if you lose out on them, because you're trying to understand everything about, you know, from the time they were a child <laughs> up until their second week in their last job um, and, and how they spent every single waking moment of their time, like, yeah, you're just setting yourself up for failure. Um, And yeah. I think it needs to, to be, you know, a real focus on on, again, what matters here, right? Like, what are the three to five main things that really matter? And how can we just evaluate those primary things? And how can you, as a leader... And every startup leader needs to kind of learn this at some point, right? Like they need to start hiring people to delegate tasks that the founder or whatever can't just do everything all at once. The hiring yeah. manager very similarly cannot evaluate every single thing. And frankly, they're likely, in all likelihood, not the person best suited to evaluate every single category. There are going to be others on the team <laughs> who you should yeah. divide and conquer and delegate to where it's just like you can represent our culture and go over those values you're great at this technical skill and and this design pattern like focus on that sort of stuff right um you're someone who is self-taught and continuously grown in their career right you can evaluate their ability to like be coached and and learn and 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 grow Mm. like that right so i think just being able to understand the resources you currently have to evaluate these different areas, I think is also really particularly important and being able to do so in kind of a condensed version, right? Like two on one panels or whatever, of like consecutive back-to-back 45 minute interviews or whatever to focus on different areas. That's how I try to set up those interview processes, um, you know, where things can um, get better. And, and I also, I think I know what probably a lot of other like executives and hiring managers and co-founders are going to say to that, where it's just like, well, what if like um, they, uh, you know what if the first interview shows that they weren't like good enough but then we already have like two or three other interviews scheduled right after that like that's kind of a waste of the team's time in my mind um, it's only a waste of time if you see it as a waste of time Um, most of these engineers or are, are not even just engineers but most of the people on these hiring teams I can imagine aren't hugely experienced in interviewing especially at a startup that tends to lean a little bit younger and everything right
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: and so the only way you're going to get better is by practicing i think giving your team time to practice even if it turns out that they don't end up hiring the person means that they're that better suited to provide a good interviewing experience the next time to better evaluate certain things the next time when the right person does come along um absolutely it's it's a, it's not a time waste. Like it is an investment, right? <laughs> um, into yeah. into allowing people to kind of hone their craft in interviewing, which is, yeah, a very marketable skill. Um, and if you yes. give your team time to do it, they will appreciate you for it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. It's I mean it's the same for tapping into that passive market. Take the time to do it, and uh, you, the, you'll re- reap the rewards on the other side. So, let's say people listening—they uh, they have a great process. They really understand who they want to bring onto the team. Um, they the per- this person has flown through the interview process. It's gone swimmingly. Everybody on the team loved them, and they they really want to get this person in. I think this part of the recruitment process is the one where a lot of companies fail more often than than maybe any other part um and this is regardless of whether you're using internal external or no one this part is really difficult um partly because we seem to not like to tell the person who could potentially offer us the 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 job that we really want what we're actually looking for and vice versa company maybe isn't willing to listen to what that is because they think it's not going to be exactly the truth um but getting that offer out and getting it accepted what's your what's your take on that part of the process how do you handle it
1: i think closing candidates um i mean it starts obviously again at the very beginning i think so like for me um and it, and because of my background in, in agency recruiting, I think I learned very early, uh, people don't believe what you tell them, they believe what they learn. <laughs> and so yeah. I think it's really important, first of all, for companies uh, and talent acquisition professionals, founders, hiring managers, who really listen to candidates, right? It's like one of those, It's it's like kind of that saying, right? When like a terrible person like tells you who they are, believe them, mm-hmm. right? Like when a candidate tells you who they are or what it is that they're looking for, Leave them if you cannot realistically offer what it is that they're looking for because they are they have two children with a third on the way they're the sole breadwinner whatever it than the family um and uh they they really just want to be able to spend time with their their kids and their family at this point in their life uh and they really value work life balance and remote work that might not be acceptable to some organizations you know that's fine but if that's the case then don't waste this person's time um yeah. i think You know, for me, the most important question I ask in the interview process is very early on, I ask about a candidate's priorities, even before I get into the pitch for the role, also because I want to frame my pitch to match their priorities, um, but more just to understand, like realistically, what can we and can we not offer? And using that information, spreading it to the rest of the interview team, if the person is a generally good match, right, and we're continuing to move Mm -hmm. forward, that everyone knows what this person's priorities are. That everyone can then predict what questions this candidate is going to ask as it relates to their priorities and should be ready to speak to them and should be transparent when things may not be a good match. Now, it's not the rest of the team's time to maybe focus on like the logistics of what isn't a good match. That's like my job yeah. in recruiting and HR. But I do not get, even now going through a recent job search myself, why companies are still so shady talking about salary ranges. I have mm-hmm. no problem zero problem disclosing a salary range to a candidate none because if we get to that point awesome but like we may not get there unless we talk and make sure that the way i phrase it is make sure that we're in the same ballpark and not playing different sports right yes
0: that's really
1: what it's about (laughs) um it's just making sure that there is some general overlap there and frankly Frankly, if you disclose in the salary range means that they now have a competitive advantage and may like push for like an extra 5k more. To me, that's worth it. The time and money that you spend potentially losing out on that candidate or that's over 5k like absolutely worth it at that point right like mm-hmm. now if it's a large range and you're hiring from like 100 to 130 or whatever the candidate is maybe not that senior or or mid level more associate or whatever they're looking i don't know like 100 to 110 and they're just going to like put their foot down and be like no you said the range was higher so i want higher then like walk away from that person right mm-hmm. <laughs> like knowing again just kind of like just being transparent i think like treating these people with like respect um I think it's paramount, right? And I I don't yeah. understand why companies are, are still so hesitant to maybe like have those conversations, but I mean, that's just like the logistics side. Again, I think like those priorities is really important. I think telling the rest of the team to be able to answer those questions. And then I think ultimately at the end of the interview process, being able to return to those priorities and saying, you know, while you're still in that final interview over kind of a, a kind of late wrap up is what I call it. Um, putting those words back in their mouth. You said you were looking for X, Y, and Z verbatim. And I will try to quote them as much as I can from the notes that I took in that first call. Like, how do we speak up? You have any questions for us as to our ability to meet those standards into that bar that you have set. And you have now one last chance to either answer any other questions that they have um, or just to confirm, yeah, you all absolutely hit those. right. And having to say that out loud is like one of the biggest like psychological like closers that you can have um, as a you know hiring manager or recruiting professional, um, and I think doing that and then kind of coming in with I think again a reasonable offer. If you're going to try to lowball someone, guarantee you like that's going to come around at some point. Like they're either not going to work as hard <laughs> um, if they do accept the offer, or they just simply won't accept it because it's a highly competitive market you know still out there. So. Um, I think paying people what they're worth, <laughs> um, yeah. keeping them motivated, um, and then ultimately, like, just delivering on these things that you tried to sell them on, right? Like, you can't just say that you're a transparent organization and then, like, during company town halls, like, refuse to answer some questions, right? Like, that doesn't – that's not okay, Um, yeah again it's just being honest with yourself about who you are as an organization as a person as a manager being able to live up to these expectations that you build um i mean that's i think hugely important
0: i think you're right i think um it comes back to the story doesn't it of the of why they're joining the company why you need this person what is the mission that that individual will achieve themselves in the role, but also overall as a company, what are, you, what, what are you trying to get at? And then again, starts at the start. I think far too often this question comes too late in the process of what, what is it that you're looking for? That question has to come at the start. It has to be understood at the start yep. so that if during the process that person says, Hey, this role feels like more of a lead position or there's a lot more responsibility here than than we'd previously talked about. That um, you can tackle those questions and you can take it back to that that first part in the conversation. Or perhaps the role has changed slightly, like the who that you need has changed as you get through it and you realize this person has this experience that you weren't expecting to find, but absolutely the team would would benefit from. And you can adjust, but you only know that because you've been transparent from the start when that question comes in at the end of oh well this this is way more responsibility i want 20 k more that's when it becomes difficult um and i totally understand the candidate's perspective what coming from that angle i think there's a time and place to have and how to have that conversation but yeah. i absolutely agree with them sometimes that companies change their mind through the process and y- yeah. y- you have to adapt but that will only go well when you've been transparent at the start you've opened up for questions but the whole way through and then when you get to the end it's i'm going to repeat that mission i'm going to repeat the responsibilities of this role i'm going to repeat what we can offer you based on what you told us you would like and where we think we fit into your world will you accept ours yeah
1: i, I- i'm totally with you i think like it- you need to get enough of that context to to be able to put that story together and to understand yeah. the why when maybe a salary uh, ask does change right and I I also like frame that initial question in the screening call is just like look like I'm not trying to hold your feet to the fire like through the course of this process you are allowed to change your mind right yeah. like circumstances change you learn more about the market you learn more about our needs and your ability to meet those needs right your one ten k ask could very well become you know one twenty 120, one twenty five and that's fine. You won't know that unless you ask again later in the process, though, right? (laughs) Like you should, just based on our first conversation, you said you were also looking for X, like in terms of salary amount. Is that still the case or has anything changed there, right? And just kind of understanding... Oh, it has changed. Can you tell us like a little bit more about like why, you know, just get the reasoning, right? Get the why behind a lot of these things. You've been trying to sell them on the why the whole time. You need to understand their why, Um, not just from salary and and another logistics perspective, but in terms of their motivations and, and what gets them excited, right? And what type of culture they mm. want to be working for, why flexibility in their work life is important to them because of family or whatever other reasons. Maybe they just yeah. like pickleball a lot. <laughs>
0: that,
1: that games they get in yeah. the middle of the day. So they're just going to be signed off from 12 to two o'clock, right? Like that's fine if you can facilitate that, but it helps to understand these things, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. Context is so important. Like we had um, one of these the other day where the, the candidate wasn't happy with the ho- amount of holiday offered in a role. Um, And admittedly, at first, when you hear that from a candidate, you think, come on, we told you about this at the start. Why? Why Mm -hmm. is it only now? And actually understanding this individual's reasons for wanting more holiday was that in his last role, he barely had any and his wife had double and he missed out on some really big family events because he didn't have enough holiday. So he just wanted to be matched. Um, So it's I love that like that, that's that's such yeah. a good reason for one thing a little bit more holiday um so I I that context really helps and it also get helps you get to know the the candidate a little bit more um I think we have so much more to talk about and <laughs> I, I we could keep go- we could keep going um and I think there's some things in here which which I want to revisit like um Okay they've accepted the offer they're not starting for 2 months what do you do uh or they start next week what do you do um, cuz i i have absolutely no doubt in my mind that you have lots of thoughts around this um but one I, of the you things
1: built an onboarding process from scratch yeah. uh, yes i have a lot of thoughts on this it's yeah. just, uh...
0: just just a handful yeah
1: exactly um Um, so so
0: one of the ways i like to finish off the podcast um but i wanted to give that little there's something more coming but to finish this one off if the audience only takes one thing from this podcast what would you like them to take away
1: i like them to take away it's a great question um i mean i feel like it was just like what we were talking about right it's it's empathy for for the candidate experiences people right Mm -hmm. like just as like when you as a co-founder or whatever maybe you're entertaining like a software tool like a SaaS product or whatever right like you want responsiveness from the company that you're working with right to buy their product right you are looking to buy a person's Mm -hmm. services as an employee it's a very yeah people think about it differently but it's not right like Companies mm-hmm. sell products and services. People sell their services to another company and their time. <laughs> and you need to think yeah. of it like that. And they are people. So understanding what their motivations are, trying to move quickly, and being respectful of their time and yours in the, in, in the process. Um, just answering, being transparent, right? <laughs> like being transpa- Be forward with the salary, right? Be honest with them where it's just like you said you were looking for X, Y, and Z. I think we have X and Y, but I got to be honest with you, like we definitely don't have Z. Is that a deal breaker for you, right? Like, right? As much as like all of that, um, like just making people feel heard, making people yeah. feel respected, um, of the of their time and and uh, their consideration. At the end of the day, like, especially in in today's world, that is so connected. Um, especially if you're like, I mean, especially if you're direct to consumer product, but even if you're not like the people you are talking to as candidates could be your customers, right? They could be people that you have to do business with in the future. Um, And you need to, to treat the, that relationship with that level of urgency and respect in order to make the positive impressions that can lead to more business. It's more than just like hiring the right person. Even when you don't hire the right person, you still want that person to think good things about your company, whether to buy it or not, still want them to say good things in the marketplace about you, and they could very well refer someone else um, you know, mm. into the job. And so I think if you have that level of, of empathy and respect for the candidate through the interview process, really trying to put yourself in their shoes, understand their experiences and where they came from, you'll have a good indication and be confident whether or not they're a good match for your company. And I think that you'll be able to go to sleep at night knowing that that person had a still a positive experience, even if you didn't hire them and can kind of go out and, and you know do future business for you or add referrals yeah. or simply try to improve your employer brand, right? Like it's small things that really do add up over time. If you're constantly ghosting candidates or you're not being transparent or you're taking your sweet time, like those thing, things catch up with you as well.
0: Absolutely well Wes this has been great I've yeah. I really enjoyed this <laughs> um, and I think until next time we'll um uh, thank you so much for coming on I'm sure this has been really insightful I will um add a couple links into when when we release this so anybody listening if you want if you want to get any more from this check out the links. um Drop where's the message if you, if you yeah. want to talk about the best. On, on best and, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, um So until next time.